0: Welcome to the 3D world with OpenGL and Vulkan. Hello and welcome to the OpenGL and Vulkan podcast. And today we're going to talk about frame buffers and what effects you can achieve by using frame buffers. So, first of all, what is a frame buffer? Well, um, without knowing, you have used uh, already frame buffers so far when you have worked with OpenGL. Um, because whenever you render stuff, this is written to a frame buffer and in the end it's displayed on your screen. And the frame buffer is nothing else but um, different pieces of memory which store different information about the 3D scene that you're currently rendering. So there is already a frame buffer that you're using, but um, yeah, you have not really. I created it yourself, you're just using it because it's already there for you. So, in order to do some nice effects in OpenGL and in 3D rendering, you need to create your own frame buffer, and this is the point um, where we will jump in today. So, we are going to create our own frame buffer to understand what he is made of and how to use it, and then in the end to understand why do we need it to create some special effects. So, the frame buffer is really nothing else but, let's say, a container. It's holding uh, some other buffers, some so called render buffers, uh, which store different information about your scene. And the frame buffer is just a container which is holding them all together. So the frame buffer itself is nothing that you will write data to, but in the frame buffer, you have different smaller buffers. Where you can write to, and uh, the usual frame buffer is made of a color render buffer, which of course is storing the color information of your scene, a depth render buffer, which is storing all the depth information of your rendering, and a stencil render buffer, which is storing stencil masks if you use them for your scene as well. So these three render buffers together form up a frame buffer, but here is a nice part you don't need to have them all in your customly created frame buffer so you could just decide okay I'm doing a frame buffer and I'm just adding a color render buffer to it because I'm only interested in the color information So how to create a frame buffer so just like all the other buffers or stuff that we have created with openGL functions it's again a function which is holding the word gen for generation in it so it's GL gen frame buffers. And just like other gen functions, you just pass the number of buffers you want to create and a handle to a variable to store those. So it's glgenFrameBuffers frame buffers passing one and then another variable to store uh, the information for this newly created one frame buffer. So this just creates your, your frame buffer. And as usual, if you want to work with it, you will go and bind it. And there's a function for this that's called glbindframebuffer. And it's getting two parameters as well. It's uh, one parameter called GL framebuffer, which just tells OpenGL, hey, bind this variable that I'm passing to you as a framebuffer, please. And of course, the variable which is holding the handle to the just newly created framebuffer. So this is no new practice here. It's the usual stuff. Generate something, bind it if you want to work with it. So as I've just told you, the frame buffer itself is just a container for holding different render buffers. So what do we need to do if we want to work with something? Well, we need to create those render buffers. So there is a function as well called glGenRenderbuffers which just works the same way and you're creating one of those render buffers that you want to work with for color information, for depth information or for stencil information. But this is not the really interesting part here. The part which uh, is more interesting for you, I guess, is the fact that you can create a texture as well and use this texture, let's say, as your color render buffer, which means the information which is rendered in your scene, all the color information, could be written directly to a texture. And uh, this is really the approach um, that is used very, very often to achieve all these nice effects that you may have heard of uh, when it comes to frame buffers. So, the, the basic idea to, to cut this short is you're creating a frame buffer, so your own render target, and uh, you're creating a texture additionally. And you just tell your frame buffer that this texture should be the destination for all the color information which is generated in your render pass. So that means you're not rendering the image to the default frame buffer, which means to the screen, but you're rendering it to a piece of memory on the graphic card, which you can use over and over again as a texture. Because a texture, it's always the same, you just need the texture handle to get a hold on it, wherever it is in your OpenGL application. So, once more, the basic idea you just create a texture which is empty at the beginning, which has just the size of your screen, and then you tell OpenGL to attach this texture to your frame buffer as a so-called GL color attachment, which means all the color information from the draw call will go into the texture. And now you may already come up with some ideas in your mind what this could be good for because any kind of of post-processing, any kind of uh, render result manipulation that you want to do needs this process in the first place. So let's say you want to blur your scene. You can't do blurring in the first render pass because by now you should know that every pixel is processed separately and even more important it's processed parallel. And this means when you are processing one of the pixels you don't know its neighbor pixels you don't know if they even exist by now so you can't blur the pixels to one another if they're not even existing so here is the first good use case for for frame buffers so if you want to blur your scene you are going to render the scene in a first render pass into your custom frame buffer and in this frame buffer you have attached a texture, a blank texture to the so-called color attachment. So while you are rendering the scene all the color information is not going to the screen to the display but it's going into this piece of memory and this piece of memory can be addressed by its texture ID. So in a second render pass you can take this texture ID and bind the texture let's say to a quad, a quad that you just show full screen uh, on your um, on your display and now that you know all the pixels already of the of the final image because they are there in the texture you could start blurring and blurring is really quite simple you just take a few pixels from the left a few pixels from the right from the top from the bottom around the current pixel that you're looking at and you just somehow sum up these uh, these color values and divide them by the number of pixels that you've taken and there are different algorithms to, to get nice blurring, but in the end it's this. You just gather some pixels around you and you somehow uh, mix them together so you get the feeling of a blurred vision, a blurred scene. So once more, you render into a custom piece of memory and you just use this custom piece of memory as a texture and a second render pass to work on it. And blurring is just, just one effect of those There are many different things that you can only achieve if you're having more than one render pass. But because what you realize right now, you can't do this all in in one pass, but you need to render at least twice. You need to render, first of all, the scene as it is, and then render the image of the scene a second time onto a quad, just to show this is what was um, visible in the first render pass, And then you can add some effects to it. And actually this this is happening quite often in in modern 3D applications. Uh, Not even happening once but even more times to get some really nice visual effects. So whenever you read something about post-processing in OpenGL or so-called deferred shading um, they mostly all the time refer to a technique like this where you first of all store the information of the 3D scene in textures or in some kind of render buffers. And then, in the second pass, you work on this data because it's not only the color that you can work on. Of course, you can use all the other information as well. And one very interesting technique which is making use of almost all the interesting information that you could store is the so-called screen size ambient occlusion. Again, I will add some information on my website opengl2go.net for this one because um, I know I'm using a lot of new terms here that you may not know so just open the page alongside to see some images what I'm talking about. So screen size ambient occlusion is not really shadows but if you think of a scene with a lot of objects in it somehow these objects um, take away light from one another because sunlight can't come from every direction to every point so, it's not really shadows, but it's just some objects occlude other objects. And this is what screen size ambient occlusion is trying to do in real time for your 3D scene. Once more, check the website for an image so you get an idea what you can achieve by um, screen size ambient occlusion. So, how can we do screen size ambient occlusion using frame buffers? Let me try to get you through this. To be able to calculate the screen size ambient occlusion in a scene we need to have different kind of information of the scene from our first render pass to use it in our second render pass. So first of all, of course, we need to know for every fragment in our scene uh, its position, its position vector. Where is it? um, What is the position of this fragment uh, in relation to, to the camera? Um, in our scene. Then of course we need to know for every single fragment what is its final normal in the scene, so where is it pointing, because we want to know all the surfaces and where they are pointing to, to be able to calculate if they are facing other objects, yes or no. And of course we need to know, and that's very important, the linear depth information of all the fragments in the scene, so how deep is a fragment inside the scene, so we can decide if it's close to another object, yes or no. And this is where we need the frame buffer, because we only can store this information when we use our custom frame buffer. So we will create, for example, textures which will hold the position information of the fragments, which will hold the normal information of the fragments, and as well hold the linear depth information of the fragments. And now some of you may get confused. How could I write normal information or depth information to a texture? Well, normal information is only just RGB values as well, because this RGB values in a normal map, in a normal texture, just represent the X, Y and that of your normal. So it's very easy to write these normals into a texture, a color texture as well. Just like the depths. The depths is just a value from zero to one. So you can write this one as well as a red channel value, for example, into a color texture, into a texture. So if you think about this approach and take a look at the website and the images I show you there, you'll realize um, that's really quite easy to write a lot of additional geometric information into, into textures. So once we've got all these textures from our first render pass, stored them in our frame buffer and in the textures we just created and attached to our frame buffer, we can go ahead and do our second render pass and use all these textures inside our shaders to calculate if objects in the scene, or at least fragments in the scene are close to one another. because what what we can do now in the shader is, We can take the normals for each fragment and just cast some randomised rays around this normal into the scene to calculate if these rays uh, intersect with some other fragments in the scene. Uh, It's all simple mess stuff. I will post this one on the website as well because I don't want to give you now a formula here by audio. But um, it's quite simple. You can, by the use of these three textures, now calculate if objects or fragments in the scene are very close to one another or if they are not. And of course, the more objects and fragments are close to one another, the darker the scene will get at this point, because the, the fragments, the overlapping objects, are somehow taking away the light from one another. Once more, this is not really a shadow that we're casting here. But it's just something that is happening in in, in real life like this. Objects which are very close to one another just darken the space between them. So this was just one example for using a frame buffer to achieve some some nice effect. And I guess once you have tested it and and used um, Screen Size Ambient Occlusion for your 3D scene, you will never want to live without it again, unless you're doing some style, 3D style, which is not uh, really nice when it's using Screen Size Ambient Occlusion. There are some, some points that you need to play around with, um, some randomized noise that you may implement here as well. As well, you may play around with the blurry effect of your Screen Size Ambient Occlusion to make it look nice. But I would just wanted to, to give you a good idea of, um, of a technique which makes massive use of, of frame buffers and you should really um, check out the links that I paste on, on the website opengl 2 gonet alongside with this podcast episode to uh, find a good page with some, some code examples and to really test the screen size ambient occlusion in your application as well so hopefully I could give you a quick idea about frame buffers and what you can do with them today and that they are not as hard and as tricky as you may think and um, just go ahead try them and you will see it's really a great tool and uh, it just enables you to do a lot of cool stuff which you can't do without using frame buffers so thank you for listening this time and um, hope to see you next time when we are talking about more advanced topics, I'm not quite sure what we will talk about the next time. Currently, I'm finding my way into Vulcan because the API is finally there, so I'm um, a lot of my time is going into learning Vulcan right now, and uh, I will come up with a Vulcan introduction as well. I'm not quite sure if it will be the next episode, but I guess pretty soon. So, thank you for this time. Um, stay tuned and hope to hear you next time. Bye.